Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. Kurt Flewelling here. And uh, I have a lot to talk about. Obviously, the um, assassination of Qasem Soleimani is front and center on what we need to talk about and the fallout afterwards um, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit. We can talk about um, Nancy Pelosi if we have time. Hope we don't. But anyway, <laughs> the um, delivering or not delivering the articles of impeachment, um, just insanity. Um, I thought I would start by just going over President Trump's speech and then making some comments on that. And then we can discuss um, some things from there. But I just uh, I listened to it and I started it and stopped it, taking some notes. And um, so let's just do it that way. And then after that, I'll give you some of my thoughts um, on his speech, on the reaction to his speech. Uh, obviously, uh, we assassinated Qasem uh, Soleimani, a, a devout terrorist, someone that has wreaked havoc in this world, uh, not only on American citizens and American soldiers, but um, people from countries all over the world and, and particularly Middle Eastern countries. So th this is an equal opportunity fiend, if you will, that has killed uh, countless individuals and um he has been assassinated by a U.S. drone strike. Um, the use of drones uh, has been in, in debate uh, for a number of years. Contrary to what a lot of people think, uh, Barack Obama was a big fan of using the drone to take out terrorists. And as you have probably heard over the course of the last few days, not a lot of opposition from folks on the left when he decided to take out individuals, uh, some of which were American citizens um, with drones. I, I know Rand Paul, um, very, very concerned with the use of drones as well. He's, he should be. And I know Mike Lee is, is joined some of those um, concerns as of late, but we will get to that. But um, I, I just wanted to, I am uh, a student of words and I, I like to I like to kind of break down and dissect the words that President Trump used when he addressed the nation the other day. And um, he came right out of the chute before he said anything and said, as long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Now, this is a very strong statement and um, one of which his supporters uh that's why they love him. He doesn't equivocate. He doesn't tap dance on the head of a pin like many politicians do. And uh, it was a very forthright, bold, decisive statement on his part. But our friends on the left and maybe some on the right would say, you know, how can you make a, a statement such as that? Does, doesn't Iran as a sovereign nation have the right to pursue uh, nuclear aspirations, not only for energy, but to defend themselves or uh, proactively go after countries that they think are um, har harming or potentially harming their interests at home? And the answer to that is absolutely they do. Um, of course they do. But 
we have the right to either block those, take out those nuclear sites, and and render their nuclear capabilities null and void. Now, if you don't understand American sovereignty and where our loyalties are, you may think that's me talking out of both sides of my mouth, um, saying that Iran most definitely has the right to do whatever they want to as far as uh, developing nuclear weapons. But um, where the distinction lies is when you have a country that chants death to America at every turn, and they have vowed to um, kill us and wipe out the great Satan, uh, there is no easier way to do that than with a nuclear bomb. And if you couple their intentions, their history uh, with um, uh, hostages and uh, fomenting terror throughout the world and the most recent um, activities that have led to this strike, um, we, ne we need to go no further than their own words as far as they pose a threat. It's not a perceived threat. It is a threat. And we most certainly have the right, um, and, and, and President Trump has the obligation to uphold our Constitution and, and be loyal to the United States of America and operate in a manner that has the best interests of Americans and America as an entity, first and foremost, he has the obligation to make a statement such as this. Although it seems very strong, it seems like it's uh, an America first uh, position, which it is. It seems in direct conflict with what Barack Obama said for eight years, which is, um, you know, this is this is a global community and nobody has the right to have interests over anybody else. And that's that's a recipe for abject anarchy. So, yes, President Obama, if everybody played nice in the sandbox, um, I wouldn't have a problem with everybody having uh, a nuclear weapon to defend themselves or go after somebody that they think is going to harm them or their country. But we, we don't live in a world like that. We live in a world where um, many of the uh, countries on the planet are evil. They have chanted death to America. And there's really no other position that an American president can have or should have as it relates to um, nuclear weapons and, and preventing another country such as um, Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Um, so the short answer is um, they are a sovereign nation. They have every right to develop those things. And we are a sovereign nation loyal to our constitution. And we have every right to destroy their capabilities uh, of doing that. Um, if we sit back and do nothing, then the results are, are what they declare them to be. And they uh, have vowed at, at every level to wipe out the great Satan. So, and, and, you know, that brings me to another point. Um, you, you hear the words international law quite regularly. Based on everything that I just said in the last couple of minutes, that renders international law absolutely meaningless because if there is such a thing as international law, which there is not, then 
America, American interests, the Constitution of the United States of America takes a back seat to whatever bunch of guys in powdered wigs in the Hague say international law is. Um, it would be absolutely impossible to get 167 nations on the same page with what is right and what is wrong. And on this show, we talk about absolutes all the time. That's why most nations have a constitution and they have every right to do that. But their rules and regs or their wrongs and rights oftentimes are very much different than our rules and regulations or our um, wrongs and rights. And to, to naively think that everybody in the world can identify evil and call it evil or identify good and call it good is wishful thinking. So this, this mythical term, international law, is really, in my estimation, quite silly for all the reasons that I've just articulated. So um, our allegiance, again, is to the Constitution of the United States of America. Now, th this does not mean in any way, shape, manner, or form that you or I can go to a country and be the ugly American and insist on operating in a manner that is consistent with what's cool over here in the United States, when in reality, that sovereign nation and their laws may have a very different thing to say about you and your conduct when you're in Turkey, for example, or Italy or Russia. Um, so I, I'm not saying puff out your chest, be the ugly American and walk all over the world doing whatever you want to do. That's going to land you in jail and probably worse. But as it comes to the broader picture, international law, things that threaten you and I in our way of life or our constitution, we have every right to say, yeah, the international law thing is nice, but we um, adhere to our constitution, our laws, our principles when we operate um, either in this the confines of, of our borders but internationally as well, when people are encroaching on our way of life, our constitution, our safety. So I think there's a distinction there that a lot of people either don't understand or they are willfully ignorant of that concept when they say, hey, you can't just go into a country and, you know, blow up their nukes or their capabilities to uh, to have nuclear weapons. You can't do that. Yes, we can. And we have and we do. And we will continue to do that as long as we have someone in the White House that respects our Constitution and uh, has sworn an oath to our Constitution. If we don't, then we won't do that. And we had we have seen um, that weakness uh, throughout history oftentimes when Democrats are president, and they have led to uh, disastrous results. The folks in, you know, the you, you hear that term quite often, we can't kill them all. And this is obviously very true, but the, the lesson the left either doesn't understand or is, again, willfully ignorant to the concept of is the fact that evil, maniacal people that want to kill you and I and end our way of life don't understand anything other than brute force. I really hate to say that, but there again, 
we get back to value systems. What we value, what they value cannot be more at odds. And as long as they're at odds and we don't have a common goal of uh, absolutes and we don't play by the same rules and value life and value liberty and freedom um, this in the same way, then there's going to be conflict. And when that conflict arises, you can equivocate, you can give uh, billions of dollars to the country and like you do the bully on the um, schoolyard when you give him your lunch money every day, every week, every month, every year and hope and pray that he doesn't beat the crap out of you. Or you can stand up to the bully and um, time and time and time again, and Ronald Reagan uh, was famous for the, the comment, uh, peace through strength, which again is a very simple concept that's either um, people have not tried to grasp or they understand it very well and choose to be ignorant to, to the validity of that statement. But peace through strength works, and it has worked time and time again with evil people throughout the world. Uh, Ronald Reagan um, authorized a, uh, a bombing, a hit, or whatever you want to call it, on uh, Muammar Gaddafi several years ago um, when he was just laughing at the international community after the, uh, the bombing in Lockerbie, Scott, Scotland, where hundreds of people were, were killed. And um, not that Mr. Reagan intended on killing uh, Gaddafi's daughter, but Gaddafi's daughter did die in that. Um, Omar Gaddafi was not um, killed. He subsequently was a few years ago. But you didn't hear boo from Omar Gaddafi for quite a while, like a really long time after that. So as much as I'm, I'm looking at the Philadelphia Inquirer here and they're uh, mourning in the streets, uh, and they have pictures of Soleimani up. As much as they revere many of these folks, almost to a person, they are abject cowards, and they understand very well um, how to be safe and continue to enjoy the lifestyle that, that many of them enjoy. And they get it. Um, they get it when a bomb comes, and it either... Uh, nearly misses them or hits one of their associates. They understand it. And I would suspect that you're going to see a little bit of what you saw the other day, a, a pseudo retaliation. Um, you know, that, that plane uh, being brought down and, and all of those people, unfortunately dying, that was, that was pretty conspicuous from the second that it um, was reported. And in my estimation, that's just that's just another um, uh, propaganda thing where you can tell um, the people of your country just about anything you want uh, about that. Uh, we we thought it was an American, whatever, and we tried to kill Americans, and, and we didn't. Uh, they know they knew exactly well, all well and good, who they were killing, and um, that. And the the uh, missiles that were lobbed into meaningless areas um, the other day were all show to basically save face. And um, so you are going to see some of that from the um, people that um, like to save their own hide, if you will. You will, however, um, those people are, are easier to deal with than people that are truly religious zealots that will die 
and will carry out death and mayhem and destruction. And they don't really care about the consequences. You, you, you separate those folks from the Ben Ladens of the world, the Saddam Husseins of the world, this guy, um, these guys. May, and, and, you know, I, I would even put Khomeini in that um, category. Uh, he fancies himself as a religious zealot. And many times they they say that they're religious zealots. But at the end of the day, the religious zealot thing is just a front to appease crazy people. Now, the crazy people that have no problem blowing themselves up or blowing other people up, they're harder to deal with. They they really are. But this whole, what are we going to do? Kill them all. What, what if we had that mentality during World War II? What are we going to do? Kill every single Nazi? They're, they're going to just keep, there's always going to be Nazis in the world. There's, there's a fair uh, percentage of Nazis in many countries in Europe to this day. There's a resurgence of them. So no, you don't kill them all, but you contain and eliminate the ones that are the most problematic and almost to a person, they do get the message that, um, that you cannot kill and wound thousands of Americans, such as Soleimani did, and get away with it. Um, President Trump goes on to say, if you value your own life, you will not threaten the lives of Americans and our allies. And again, um, this may seem like bluster, but a statement like that, that is subsequently backed up with action, like Donald Donald Trump uh, took the other day, is something that uh, people listen to. And in my opinion, they're going to be quiet for a period of time. Um, he does say that he wants to impose economic sanctions. Um, economic sanctions, in my estimation, most of the time they're tried don't work very well because the the rich and the powerful in whatever country that you are um, uh, imposing those sanctions on uh, simply can hunker down and continue to live lavish lifestyles. And those um, sanctions oftentimes uh, harm the middle class, rank and file, every everyday person on the street. And if you live in a propaganda regime, such as many people do throughout the world, you erroneously associate your terrible way of life with the evil United States of America. And that's that's what your propagandist leaders in that country uh, foment. Um, my assertion is there's there's a heck of a lot of people in Iran that are smarter than that. They have tried to unsuccessfully move away from this seventh century um leadership that they are under. And um, Barack Obama failed miserably when um, they took to the streets a number of years ago. When when people take to the streets against totalitarian regimes, they look to the United States for backing, not just military backing, but the power of the bully pulpit to get up and say things such as, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, as Ronald Reagan did. And um, Barack Obama had a very much of a prime um, uh, opportunity a couple years ago when there was uh, unrest in Iran to basically announce that we have your back 
and uh, we are in in support of of um, overthrow, uprising, coups, whatever. I mean, you 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 kind of dress those words down a little bit, but he failed miserably to signal or out and out say to the people of Iran, I have your back. And it's a lot easier to go in the streets and march against regimes when you know that the United States of America has your back. And it's much more difficult if um, it is perceived, at least, that the United States does not have your back. Um, you know, Trump went on to say the theocratic lunatics should have um, not have nuclear weapons. Now, if, if that statement has to be broken down or explained to anybody, then that's a person that you can't reach. If a theocratic lunatic who vows to kill the great Satan has a nuclear weapon, and you make a declarative statement where those individuals should never have access to nuclear armamentation, and you have to argue that or explain that to somebody, you're never going to reach those people. And I'm all about reaching people. You've heard this show for enough uh, time to know that I am um, big time into how you talk to people, how do you how you persuade people. But if you have people such as um, various cable news outlets that are covering the uh, Soleimani uh, funeral. <laughs> You're not going to reach them. You're not that statement. You're not going to explain to them why Soleimani or any regime such as the Iranian regime should have nuclear weapons. You're not going to. You're not going to persuade them. You're not going to explain if um, if you are running funerals and 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 glorifying individuals. Uh, I've I've heard it put best that you know the CNN, MSNBC, and all these outlets they they couldn't do better if they were a, an Iranian propaganda outlet to to glamorize, glorify, and justify the conduct of this individual and other individuals in that country. So, um, you know, if you're one of these people that just break it down to um, we win, they lose as far as elections are concerned, I would agree that this type of glorification of uh, Iran and um, concern about Iran, which they never really had when Obama was president, um, is is definitely doing very little um, in in thwarting uh, Donald Trump's march to being um, uh, reelected as president. But I mean, it is a little bit more involved than that. But um, you know, just just to get some perspective on Soleimani uh, and and the Iranian. Um, Regime, they what led up to this um, uh, strike? Uh, they seized ships in um, in the region. They struck um, at Saudi Arabia. Um, they shot down two U.S. drones. And you know, in in the mind of the average liberal, uh, there really is no line in the sand. You you have no game plan as to when and if you're ever going to stop these things. And it really is no different. I mean, I'm not a model parent, nor was I ever one, but I mean, it's really no different than crappy parenting and, um, and good parenting. The, um, you know, when, when your kids know, uh, first and foremost, that you are not going to come through and, um, 
and make good on your promises to uh, to take things away from them or or punish them or discipline them, they will continue to do um, whatever behavior that's inappropriate. And and these um, thugs, uh, evil whatever's all across the world are really no different than children. Um, they they see very clearly that in, in, when Democrats are in charge, the United States of America is a paper tiger. And they see when certain Republicans are in charge, not every single Republican, but they see that um, and they test when these Republicans are in office and when Republicans will back up what they say, have that quote unquote line in the sand, they see that very clearly they are going to be slapped back or eliminated and they perform as such. They, they keep their bombs to themselves, if you will. Um, and, and conversely, you know, the 2013 Iranian deal, um, $150 billion. Now, now what in the world? I mean, you should be offended. I should be offended as a taxpayer. What in the world is $150 billion of our money going to Iran for? I mean, we're we, that money that was shipped to them is coming out of your wallet and my wallet. Uh, we work hard, most of us, for the money that we earn. And a chunk of that is being taken out and given to Iran. Basically, that's no different than the the bully on the schoolyard just saying, look, I'll, I'll, um, I'll be quiet. I won't smack you. I won't trip you up, knock your books out of your hand, humiliate you if you cough up your lunch money. So each and every one of the 350 million people in this country coughed up a little lunch money. Barack Obama sent it over to the Middle East and um, 1.7 billion of it was cash on pallets that many of you had heard of, and that was if and that was on the hush hush, unless that was observed by somebody. And once it was, that little secret got out. But what did those individuals do with the 150 billion dollars of your tax dollars and mine? They chanted "Death to America" when they got it, and they went on a terror spree. Um, not only threatening uh, United States interests and United States citizens globally, but um, invoking terror in Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. So that's what the money got you. It didn't. It didn't quiet them. It got them behind closed doors to say, "What a bunch of saps!" I cannot believe the more murder and mayhem that we perpetrate the more money they cough up. How illogical is that? How how microscopic do your <clears throat> have to be to see American women and men killed and, and our fine men and women in the armed services killed, tortured, dragged through the, the streets, and you repay that with American tax dollars, and you basically say, please don't do any more terrorism, please how much respect are you going to get? The respect that you earn from evil terrorists can can come, I hate to say this, but it's true, can only come through brute force and strength. 
and swift action, such as um, Donald Trump took the other day. Now, how he did it, who he did it to, where he did it, um, we can debate that. And people have debated that. But the, the, the peace through strength thing that conservatives seem to get and liberals seem to think causes more problems um, is something that is very much problematic and it ebbs and it flows hinging on who we have in office. Um, so we sent a message killing Soleimani and, and this is really the only thing that they listen to. Um, as I said, Democrats are unwilling or unable to understand the peace through strength thing. Um, so, you know, um, anyway, um, that's basically, I, I have a little bit more on what president Trump said. The, um, yeah, I mean, and this is another thing that President Trump and President Trump loves to do this. And this is to, I guess, just further solidify his strength uh, in his base. But um, the um, he said the token face saving missiles um, uh, missile strike was funded by our tax dollars. And um, and he's right. You know, he 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 chronicled very accurately that. Um, that 150 billion went to the purchase of missiles that were um, used in that pseudo strike the other day. Um, so it, here's the thing that um, spells some trouble for those of you that don't want Donald Trump to be reelected. Um, and I've said this ad nauseum, but it bears repeating. There's 45% of the populace out there that if Donald Trump, um, was uh, convicted in the Hague of war crimes, they would still vote for him. It really doesn't matter uh, what he does, when he does it, how he does it. It doesn't matter. They will reflexively vote for him. And as I've said several times before, a, a sycophantic love of anyone is extraordinarily problematic because then you lose the ability to think. And there are 45% of the American people that if, if the guy gets a Nobel prize tomorrow, for um, curing uh, uh, AIDS, world peace, and this and that and the other, they're still going to vote against him. There's really nothing he can do right that would sway them. But there is another 10% of the populace that are reasonably thinking citizens, and they come uh, in the form of Republicans and Democrats, that um, Donald Trump and his opponent are going to need in in order to become president of the United States in 2020. That That's just all there is to it. it. It's really down to that small of a percentage of people. And the problem is for Democrats, um, taxpayers of, of both of those stripes, they understand how ludicrous our Iran policy was under Obama. And they do understand that killing bad guys is um, probably a good thing. Now, we can discuss Rand Paul, Mike Lee, um, the fact that Congress does have um, some power uh, to, to, uh, to be in this process of war declarations. Um, Donald Trump can't operate unilaterally, but it is also folly, and our, our framers never intended for Congress to hamstring the president and... Um, 
and uh, limit his or her ability to to strike, um, particularly when time is of the essence. That was never a function of Congress to do that. And, and the congressmen and women know that um, either they're willfully ignorant or ignorant as, as it were to that. But um, the president does have great latitude to do what he did the other day. Um, furthermore, Donald Trump called on the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Russia, China to abandon um, remnants of the uh, the 2013 Iranian deal. So this is a common refrain with uh, President Trump. He he um, he operates through executive orders, which he is constitutionally um, allowed to do. Never been a big fan of executive orders, as I've said on this show before. Um, whatever he can declare can be undeclared. Um, within five minutes of a new Democrat president coming in. So, and this is something we'll talk about a little later in the show, his um, ability to rub people the wrong way has really been a liability uh, for him. It, people get all whipped up and they go, that's Trump being Trump and look at his rallies and all that. And that's all well and good. But his legislative victories in three years have been pretty small and they've only they've only occurred because um, Republicans want to save their own political hides and reluctantly latch their pony to him. But um, he has a lot of people um, that would probably be called enemies on both sides of the aisle. And when you are as abrasive as Donald Trump and rub people the wrong way, like Donald Trump does, you're going to have problems um, eventually. And um, you, you cannot operate that way long and hard for year after year after year with with starting to not and not start to wade into the king like uh complex and and that has a that is a, a very problematic because people um start looking the other way when the the person that you happen to like starts doing things that are extra constitutional or um in the case of a faith-based uh, voter, um, do not square in any way, shape, manner, or form with the Bible. So that's why um, it is problematic to have a sycophantic, sycophantic love of anyone or any party, uh, the state or the straight Democrat vote or the straight Republican vote or whatever is problematic because over the course of time, what it does is it blunts thinking and um if your guy or gal or party is impervious to criticism and doesn't respond to to um, the people that they are that rep, are represented by them, or, or excuse me, their representatives, then that can be very very problematic. Um, but but Trump does do this pretty effectively, and it does resonate with both sides of the aisle when he says NATO has to cough up more money. Um, the other countries have to cough up more money in the UN. Um, we don't want to be the world's policemen where um, we want to do what we do, do it effectively, and get the heck out. And that populist rant that he does is something that Democrats hate him for because they've done it for years when they've demagogued um this war or that war. And war is not a simple topic to be discussing 
one war is different than another war. One's interest is different than another interest. And Democrats have always made a lot of hay with saying, we don't want our, our boys and girls, our men and women, uh, killed and maimed in foreign uh, conflicts that have very little, if nothing, to do with American interests. And that is a refrain that is quite popular with just about anybody. Uh, but the reality of the situation is war is war, and we do need to send our, our men and women and resources um, to various parts of the world and, and, dare I say, occupy them for a period of time in order to um, gain some stability, um, make sure that vital U.S. interests are taken care of, and then we get the heck out of there. And we have been in countries far too long. And Donald Trump exploits this very well, saying he is he is not a uh, does not want to be the the world cop. He is not a hawkish individual, and that resonates with Democrats and Republicans. And that and that that part of Donald Trump is very um, effective in that, particularly in that ten percent of um, sober, sane thinking voters um, that may be Republican, that may be Democrat, they, and, and you know, nobody wants uh, as, um, you know, Washington said, uh, beware of, uh, um, you know, foreign alliances that go on uh, in perpetuity. And he, he was correct. So um, another thing that I jotted down at this point of the speech is Reagan, Ronald Reagan was, a master at communicating directly um, uh, to people of uh, particularly uh, of the rank and file in many of the countries we had conflicts with. Um, Ronald Reagan was beloved in all of the Eastern Bloc countries. And as I've said on this show before, um, if any of you travel in Europe, particularly, um, you know, several decades ago, you would... Um, you would find in, in the typical home in Poland and Hungary and some of these uh, um, Eastern Bloc countries, you would you would see pictures of Ronald Reagan in people's living rooms. Um, he was absolutely beloved. And, and this is a world before smartphones and the Internet and 24-7 news cycles. Um, he knew how to appeal to um, the rank and file on the ground that was... Um, opposing one regime or another. And uh, this is something that Trump um, would, would uh, I, I think his speech um, was was very Reagan-esque in a lot of respects. Um, I, I don't think he's completely mastered the art of communication like Ronald Reagan, but um, there are some similarities between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. And in this speech, it was... Um, Definitely, um, definitely Reagan-esque in a lot of respects, but uh, I, I don't see Donald Trump as, as hawkish as Ronald Reagan was. Uh, I think a lot of hawks in the Republican Party feel some type of an, or at least purport to feel some type of an obligation of uh, mass export of liberty and mass export of freedom and mass export of capitalism. And those take those things take a tremendous amount of time in any country that you get involved with. And if uh, a, a particular country 
has been liberated from some dictator and a new quasi-democratic regime has stepped in. It takes a really, really long time, and it is incumbent on that regime and that regime alone to um, foment a situation where liberty and freedom and justice and the rule of law and all of those good things start to happen. We can't make that happen for somebody. I, I firmly believe that regardless of where you live on the four corners of this earth, uh, our God gave us with a, a spirit of of a yearning for freedom and liberty and to, to be self-governed, if you will. But um, we can't impose that on people. We can't occupy countries in perpetuity. We can't go and topple evil regimes all over the place as, as much as, as they exist out there. We just can't do it financially. We can't do it with the toll on human life that uh, our men and women in the, in the services um, would, would have to be uh, sacrificed. We just cannot do it. So, But um, there are a lot of old school hawkish Republicans that feel that we should go out and um, fight for truth, justice in the American way and get involved in all these skirmishes is just impractical. And I don't think Donald Trump, to his credit, falls into that category. He sees wrong. He sees American interests and Americans, for that matter, being harmed. And he's a fixer. Um, he wants to get in. He wants to do it. and But he, in no estimation, wants to stay in these countries in perpetuity. And he's, he's made that pretty clear, and he made that pretty clear on the campaign trail. And again, I believe that foreign policy resonates with a lot of people, particularly the people he's going to have to sway over to his side. Um, he, he's not an isolationist, but he's not a hawk either. I think he's a kind of an amalgamation of both of those things. And I think that helps him with the voting base that he needs to be pushed over the top in 2020. Um, but um, I have a couple more uh, observations on uh, the speech. Um, and this this was a good one. Um, again, you know, I, I think he's a bright guy uh, to the contrary of, of what his detractors may think of him. Um, he said, our energy independence allows us to um, to not have the need for middle mid-east oil that we once had and i think that's absolutely true and again this is where the left right thing the democrat republican thing is very very important domestically if you have democrats in control uh, of the three branches of government um, basically um, if you want to count the judiciary and you have environmental policies that will um, keep us if you will, sitting on the natural resources that this country has, as as was the case for many years in this country, um, the volatility of the Middle East and the importance of the Middle East and their oil becomes paramount. If you unleash um, the uh, the American entrepreneurial spirit, if you develop natural gas. Um, as he as he said in his speech, we are now the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world. If you allow this to happen, then that renders these um, mullahs 
and theocratic crazy people in the Middle East less relevant and, and almost irrelevant. And you don't have to be as concerned with how you treat them or is there going to be ramifications for this or that. And they are far less active as far as terrorism is concerned and all these other things if you can keep that in check. And our dependence on those entities or, or as it were, our, our lack of dependence on them now, I think puts us in a be- much better position to render those individuals irrelevant. Now, is the Middle East ever going to be irrelevant? Biblically, we know that that's a silly notion. But I can tell you we're in a much better position to do what we need to do uh, to, to defend who we are and our way of life when we are not at the mercy of Middle East oil. So he articulated that pretty um, pretty um, clearly. Um, it was it was interesting. Um, he did there was a line in the speech where he was kind of threatening them indirectly by chronicling our strength of our weapons. Um, that was shrewd. It was done by design. And it was done to remind people of some degree of rational thought that um, the strength of our weapons are second to none. And this is something that should be respected and um, and listened to. And again, he chronicled um, al-Baghdadi and the, um, the killing of al-Baghdadi. So Donald Trump was very effective in um, in hitting many, many areas in this speech in a very short speech. It was like, like about nine minutes, but he did that very well. He covered a lot of ground. He hit a lot of constituency groups or things that would be of interest to certain constituency groups in this country. And, you know, uh, love him or hate him. It was a very effective speech. He, um, he gave a little tutorial how ISIS was the enemy of Iran and he, he chronicled the crippling of ISIS and then he pivoted and he spoke in a Reagan-esque fashion to the people of Iran. Now, how much of that gets through to the rank and file in Iran when they have a very um, tight control of the media and, and propaganda that's disseminated in Iran? That remains to be seen. But again, he did a very effective job of alluding to the fact that um, the United States is committed to crippling ISIS He states ISIS is the enemy of Iran and he pivots and makes that a a real thing to the average Iranian. So I I think that was um, good. Um, And, and, you know, he he allowed them, in in my opinion and the the opinions of many others, to kind of save face. And if you're humiliated by having a leader such as this, like taken out with a drone – um, you, if you stand on the throat of that regime and beat your chest, I don't think that's very, um, very effective. And, and to the contrary of what many people think of Donald Trump, his response was very reasoned and measured and he, and he allowed them to lob a couple of, uh, missiles into a meaningless area and not create too much havoc and that allows them to loop that missile launch over and over and over on state-run television 
and people don't feel as bad about their regime um, as they could or should. Um, if he was this unbridled warmonger that could care less about what Congress thinks, he could have very easily destabilized the whole, destabilized the whole region and taken out their two or three of their major oil fields, and then it would be it. Um, he obviously didn't do that. So um, I think in totality, um, the the speech was good. Uh, whether you differ, uh, whether we should be um, offing people with drones here and there and everywhere, that's a discussion that we can have because I'm, I'm not so sure that it's the best thing to, to have happen. But the pedigree of this individual was pretty much chronicled over the course of many, many years. And if we have the opportunity to kill individuals such as this who have um, unabated caused so much uh, mayhem in the world, I, I think we do it. I, I really do. And I know that um, Rand Paul and Mike Lee uh, were not real happy with the briefing that Donald Trump um, gave and the reasons he gave uh, for, you know, uh, let's just say almost unilaterally going through with this. However, and, and, and you know something that that brings up in the in the remaining few minutes we have here, that brings up another thing. And this is where Donald Trump does need to work a little harder. Um, the guy does rub people the wrong way. And his brashness and arrogance is always going to rub people on the left the wrong way. And as I've stated many times, they don't. And he would probably say this himself. Um, he's not an ideologue. He's not a conservative as much as he's an America first person. And as much as you may think that those things go in lockstep um, down the line, they don't necessarily always go in lockstep down the line. Um but um, they hate him because he fights like they do. Uh, that is their primary reason why they hate him. But you do need to win consensus sometimes, and you do need to rely on your either your majority or minority leaders in the House or Senate to get things done for you. And with an individual such as Donald Trump, who has offended many, many Democrats for the aforementioned reason, many, many establishment Republicans because they're basically, you know, Democrat light and many conservatives for that matter, because Donald Trump, um, contrary to popular belief in, in his, uh, in his life, he was a Democrat for a half as a century. I mean, that, that's a long time. Um, he said and done many things that are anywhere uh, that, that don't even remotely smack of conservatism or something that would resonate with a faith-based voter. So um, I think Donald Trump needs to work on his delivery system, and I think he can do it. it it's almost like um, a, um, a surgeon with terrible bedside manner. Um, you know, why do you got to be both? Uh, wh why can't you be a surgeon with good bedside manner? Um, there are people out there. I, I don't care if my surgeon explains anything to me. I don't care if he treats me or my family with respect. As long as he's uh, there for the operation on time and he knows what he's doing, I could care less. Well, yeah, that's kind of all well and good. And I do understand that when it comes down to it, you, you want your surgeon to be skilled. But 
can a surgeon um, or a doctor in general have a good bedside manner? Can he explain things to patients? Can he make you feel included and wonderful and part of the process and allay your fears and be good at what he or she does? Um, and the answer to that is absolutely. You can. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. Trump doesn't stop being effective in all the things that he, he has done that are, in, in my estimation, good if he tweets a little less or treats people with respect a little bit more or doesn't make fun of people the way he does and has a little bit more self-awareness um, or, or I, I guess I should say empathy or sympathy or, or concern for the p other people in the room. Um, does, does his uh, effectiveness suddenly get diminished because he turns into somebody that's, I don't know, Christ-like? I don't think it does. And and I think it's um it's it's um you know, I, I just don't think it's accurate that if um if you um if he tightens up his game a little bit, so to speak, that he stops being Trump and he's all of a sudden ineffective. Um and I and I think if you think that, maybe you should analyze who you are and what you like in a person or a politician or a leader. Um he could really stand to, and, and, and that, that is why some people didn't vote for him. And in this very, very, I, I know that many of you think that the, the lot of Democrat hopefuls out there is so terrible that this is a mortal lock that he's going to win. And I'll tell you, he, he really, it's the electoral college. And, um, if there are enough people that stay home or are mildly offended by his brashness um, in the states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Florida, Virginia, Nevada, um, then he's not going to win. And all he's got to do is lose 50.5 uh, to 49.5 or 50.1 to 49.9. In, in a few of those states, he ran the table, if you don't recall, in 2016 on the purple states or the uh, heretofore um, blue states. He ran the table. Um, they're waiting for him now. They're doubling down at the grassroots level on all of these states. And um, he's not going to be a surprise anymore. And that Oh, this guy will never win. He can't possibly win. That's not happening this time around. And all they have to do is accidentally swerve into a candidate that can walk and chew gum. And I know if you look at the lot of Democrat candidates out there, it doesn't really appear that anybody is coming to the fore that um, can even, uh, you know, be, be defined as such. But all they need is somebody that is is um, slightly reasonable, and and then the fun starts because as I said before, they're both starting at forty five percent. They both have a, a mortal lock on forty five percent of the electorate because they got a D next to their name or an R next to the name. So you're fighting for ten percent of the populace that may be an R or maybe a D. And I know you only have to get, um, you know, 
a little over, uh, you know, six out of those 10 people or a little over 50% of those people. But, um, you know, his game has to be tightened up a little bit. That's just my opinion. Maybe that's where I'm coming from in my view of Donald Trump. And if your view is the guy can do no wrong, you're probably listening to me and say, what the heck is this guy talking about? He doesn't, he does not know Donald Trump. Has he ever gone to a rally? Well, you know, there are people in those states where he is doing these rallies that, um, that uh, are not so sold on him and, um, you know, it, it, it's not going to take a lot to fall in place to make this a very close election in November. So um, we will just leave it at that. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Have a great day.